Morning, everybody. Thank you, and welcome back for week three of Family Month here at Cedar Creek Church. If those of you maybe who are new or you've been out for a couple of weeks, during the month of May, we as a church are focusing on our families and more importantly, our family relationships. And sort of our goal, our big idea in this series is to shatter the myth of the perfect family so that we can learn how to live with love and enjoy the very imperfect families that we have. And what I mean by that is that many times we get so focused on what's broken or missing or our family doesn't have that we forget to make the most of the families that God has given us. And today we're going to talk about something that all of our families have in common, and that is family fights. You know, all right, amen there. Yeah, you know, in the 1940s there was this running feud between Winston Churchill, the prime minister of Britain, and Lady Astor, the first woman elected to the British Parliament. Now these two individuals not only came from very different political backgrounds, but they were both very strong-willed and outspoken people. They were the Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton of their generation, and their fights were legendary. And they often got played out in the British press. And in fact, after one particularly contentious debate in Parliament, Lady Astor, in anger and frustration, stood up and shouted across the hall, Mr. Churchill, if, I were, if you were my husband, I would give you arsenic to drink. To which Winston Churchill calmly answered, Madam, if I were married to you, I would gladly drink it. Many of us sort of feel that way. We have that mindset when it comes to our families. Because if you've got family, you've got fighting. Conflict is an inevitable part of every family. And guess what? That's okay. In fact, not only is it okay, it is a good thing. Why do I say that? Because God has made all of us uniquely individual. God has created us the way we are. And so we all have different personality types. We all have different ways of feeling and expressing emotion. We all react and respond to things differently. We perceive events differently. And those differences inevitably brush up against one another. In fact, you show me a family that doesn't fight, and I'll show you a family where at least one person has given up, has withdrawn into a shell, and is no longer bringing their uniquenesses to the family table. See, the problem isn't that we fight. The problem is the way that we fight. And so this morning, as we talk about fixing family fights, we're not talking about eliminating conflict from our families. We're talking about managing conflict in the way that brings out the best in our family and brings out the best in the individuals within our 
families. And so to help us accomplish this, we're going to look at a very short but very powerful passage on family relationships from the New Testament book of 1 Peter. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, you can turn there. It's one of the last books in the New Testament, so it's going to be on the far right. If you didn't bring a Bible or Bible app, it's cool. It's only four verses. They're all printed on your outline so everyone can follow along. And I am amazed how in just four short verses... Peter gives us a lifetime of wisdom when it comes to our relationships, particularly with our family. And it starts with the very first part of verse 8 there on the top of your outline. Peter says, finally, everyone must live in what? What does it say? Circle that word harmony. Now look, I am not a, a musical Person, but I understand the concept of musical harmony. I, I can't sing in harmony. I can't even sing in tune by myself, but I at least understand what harmony is. Harmony is not everybody singing the same note, harmony is everybody singing a different note, but singing it in a way that complements rather than clashes. And that's the picture God has for our differences within our families. That's his plan for family harmony. And I love good old Peter because he not only tells us that we should live in harmony, but he goes on to tell us how to do it. And this morning as we unpack this small passage, we see five keys to living in family harmony. So let's jump in. Number one, the first thing I need to do to have family harmony is to have some sympathy. To have some sympathy. Peter says, be sympathetic. Most of us think of sympathy as feeling sorry for someone. Sympathy is feeling bad for what somebody is going through or dealing with. And that is certainly a part of sympathy. But biblical sympathy is much deeper than that. Biblical sympathy is not just feeling bad for what somebody's going through. It's understanding why somebody feels the way they do. Did you catch that? Sympathy is not feeling bad for what somebody's going through. Sympathy, true sympathy, is seeking to understand why somebody feels the way they do. I love this definition of sympathy from Romans chapter 15 in the Living Bible paraphrase. Notice what it says. It says, we must bear the burden of being considerate of the doubts and fears of others. Circle that phrase, doubts and fears. The reason the people in your family think the way they think and act the way they act is most of the time based on the doubts and fears that are within them. Our outward behavior is almost always driven by our inward struggles. Here's why that's so important. Because if you keep fighting over the outward behaviors and don't take the time to understand the inward struggles that cause those behaviors, you're going to keep fighting over the same issue 
over and over again, going in circles and never moving forward in your relationships. Let me try to give you an example of exactly what I'm talking about. Terry and I have been married coming up on 34 years in about two months. And one of the things we discovered early on in our marriage was the vital importance of us taking time to get away together for a weekend or an overnight, to get away and focus on our relationship with one another. And we set as a goal to try to do that at least four times a year. Now, when, when we didn't have kids, that was easy as pie to do. But as the kids started coming along, it took a lot of planning, a lot of work, a lot of preparation to go away, just even if it was for an overnight, because we had to figure out, you know, who goes where, who's going to keep the kids, who's going to deal with all of that. And so we would spend weeks planning one of these getaways. And it never failed. The night before we were set to leave, Terry would start backpedaling. She would start having second thoughts. Well, you know, what if one of the kids gets sick? Or, or what if this doesn't work out? Or, or what if this? And I'm like, really? really? All this work, we've been talking about this, and now you're going to start freaking out about going away? And my reading of that outward behavior is she just wants to be with the kids more than she wants to be with me. She don't want to be alone with me. That was my reaction, and it was that way for a long time until one day the light bulb finally went off, and I realized when she was 17 years old, her parents got in a car, backed out of the driveway, and she would never, ever see them again. That fear, that doubt drove that behavior. Now, that didn't mean we stopped doing our weekend getaways. We didn't allow the fear and doubts to control us, but me understanding where those feelings were coming from and why they were there helped me walk with her to get past my own jealousy and my own issues to walk with her through the process of dealing with the doubts and fears. That's being sympathetic. And you need to understand, sympathy is one of the best weapons you can bring to a family fight. And you activate this weapon, you pull the trigger on this weapon with your ears, not your mouth. That you listen rather than talk. You've heard this saying before, seek to understand before seeking to be understood. That's sympathy. Most of us in our conflict are so busy to get our point across to make sure the other person knows why we are doing the things we're doing or why we feel the way we feel that we never bother listening to what's going on in their lives. If you want a little more harmony in your family, start by being sympathetic. Number two, the second thing Peter says we have to do is show some compassion. Show some compassion. Peter says, be compassionate. What is compassion? Compassion is the outward display of sympathy. Compassion is acting in light of what you have discovered about the doubts and fears of others. See, sympathy without compassion is not love, it's pity. And pity doesn't help anyone. Feeling sorry for people harms them more than it helps them. You have to do something based on understanding 
what they're dealing with. Some of you are old like me, and you remember back in the 80s, the whole dress for success movement. You remember that? You had to have the power suit with the power tie. You had to get the power haircut so you could go to the power lunch and have the power meeting. And it was all about looking the part to get what you want. Well, the Bible says looking the part when it comes to our family relationships is all about our compassion. Look at Colossians 3.12. It says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion. What does it mean to dress with compassion? It means that that's the first thing that people notice about you. The most obvious outward character trait is that I really do care. That you really do matter. Not just with our words, but by our actions. Look at 1 John 3.18. It says, My children, we should love people not only with words and talk, but by our what? By our actions, by our true caring. Compassion is finding practical ways to make life better for others. I think most of us would agree that life is stressful, right? I mean, it starts first thing in the morning. We wake up to the shrill sound of an alarm clock, and the pressure builds. We get dressed, we get in our car, and we drive to work, and we have to share the road with a bunch of idiots who don't know how to drive or text when they're driving, and more pressure is added. Then we get to work, and we have to interact with our coworkers who won't do their job and make our job harder. I'm getting lightheaded up here. And then we have to deal with that boss who has unrealistic expectations. And the pressure keeps building. And after 8, 10, 12 hours of working in that pressure cooker, we get back in our car and we drive back home and share the road with those same stupid people we saw in the morning. And the pressure builds. And then we pull in the driveway and we walk into our homes and the least little thing we explode we explode all over our families compassion is all about removing the sharp edges in our homes now listen to me listen to me I'm not talking about tiptoeing around some family member who has anger management issues. That's not what I'm talking I'm not talking about an enabling doormat that allows somebody to manipulate you. I'm just talking about looking for ways to decompress within our homes. This is what compassion does. This was this this felt good in planning it. So compassion says I won't hit you with that tough issue when you walk in the door. I'll give you a little time. Compassion says, hey, you look like you've had a tough day. What can I do to help? Compassion takes out the trash without being asked. 
Compassion cleans up, makes your bed, looks for little ways to make life easier and decompresses the stress that all of us have. If we want harmony in our homes, we have to be sympathetic. We have to be compassionate. And then number three, we have to live with humility. Live with humility. Peter says, be sympathetic, compassionate, and humble. Humility is an essential ingredient for family harmony. You know why? Because the number one cause of unhealthy conflict in our homes is pride. You show me a family or two people who are in unhealthy conflict and I'll show you one, usually two people who have dug their heels in and are demanding to get their way. In fact, look at what Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived. Look at what he writes, Proverbs 13, 10. Pride leads to conflict. Those who take advice are wise. And here is Solomon's advice. Take yourself out of the center of the universe. Stop demanding everything in your family be all about you. You remember three weeks ago when we started this journey, one of the first things I told you is that the only thing you can change about your family is who? You. You can't change them. You can't change your family. You can't exchange them in for a better version. But you can change how you interact with your family. And one of the best things that you can do for your family's dynamic, no matter how dysfunctional it is, is to be humble. Listen, I know you have difficult people in your family. And I understand that you are dealing with difficult, difficult, complicated issues in your family relationships. Believe me, I know it. I'm not minimizing that. I am just simply saying your humility will go a long way in diffusing some of that unhealthy conflict. Here's why. Humility does three things for me. These aren't on your outline. Write them down in the margin. One, humility helps me be honest about my weaknesses. Humility helps me recognize that my family members aren't the only people with issues. That I have issues as well. Secondly, humility helps me realize that I am not always right. I know that is shocking for some of you to realize you are not always right. The other person may have a better perspective. And third, humility helps me admit my mistakes. Words like, I'm sorry, I was wrong, please forgive me, they are like throwing a bucket of cold water on the hot flame of conflict. You know, in all my life, I have never met a person involved in an argument who was not convinced that they were right. I mean, that's why we argue. 
because we are convinced that we are right. And here's the thing, maybe you are. Maybe you are right, but what price are you willing to pay to be right? Look, a bulldog can whip a skunk every day of the week and twice on Sunday, but it might be wise for the bulldog to consider, is it worth the fight? And when it comes to your family relationships, you need to understand most of the time being reconciled is better than being right. Being reconciled is better than being right. Now, before you send me a bunch of harsh emails tomorrow morning, let me be clear. I'm not talking about caving on biblical principles. I'm not talking about enabling codependent behavior. I'm just talking about recognizing that if you keep insisting on winning every battle, you are going to lose the war. Do you know what people who always are right, do you know where people who are always right end up? Alone. Because nobody wants to be with somebody who has to have their way. So let me ask you this, a little self-evaluation. That conflict in your family right now, the one you're thinking about this morning, where is your pride getting in the way? I understand this other person has pride and issues. I understand that. My question is, where are you being prideful? Because if you want harmony in your home, you got to live with humility. And then number four, the fourth thing Peter tells us is, we have to dispense plenty of mercy. Dispense plenty of mercy. Mercy is showing more kindness than justice requires. Justice says we have to even the scales. It has to be fair. You hurt me, I have to hurt you. And now you have to hurt me. And we escalate and escalate into this damaging, hurtful thing. What mercy says is I am not going to give you what you deserve. I'm going to choose instead to give you what you need. Notice how Peter puts it, verse 9. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, as if that wasn't hard enough, instead, pay them back with a blessing. Why? Look at this. Because that is what God has called you to do, and he will grant you his blessing. Somebody's got to break the cycle. And as Christ followers, that is what God has called us to do. And not only has he called us to do that, but he has promised right here in his word that he will bless us if we do it. And I am convinced that that blessing he gives us when we show mercy to people who hurt us is freedom from those people who hurt us. That's what forgiveness does. It frees us. It unchains us from the very people who have hurt us. We've all been hurt. If you've got family, you've got scars. It's inevitable. The question is, are you still going to allow the family you grew up in 20, 30, 40 years ago to keep controlling your life? Well, if you don't want that to happen, you've got to dispense mercy. You've got to forgive. You've got to release the pain that others have caused you to God. That's what forgiveness is. 
It's not saying that what they did was, was okay. It's not saying that they're right and you're wrong. Forgiveness actually has nothing to do with them and everything to do with your relationship with God and your healing. Listen, there's only two things you can do with the hurt your family causes you. You can keep holding on to it. You can keep nursing it and rehearsing it and bringing it back up every time there's another conflict. And if you do that, guess what? You will end up bitter and broken. Or you can dispense mercy and forgiveness and find the freedom that God wants to bless you with. Dispense plenty of mercy with your family. And then number five, old Pete, he saves the best for last. You want harmony in your family? Guard your words. Guard your words. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Anybody believe that? No, no. In fact, words hurt worse and longer and deeper than any stick or any stones. Broken bones heal. Wounded hearts sometimes take years to recover. Hearts wounded by careless, thoughtless words said in anger. That's why I notice what Peter says, verse 10. If you want a happy, good life, not if you want the people around you to be happy, not if you want your family to be happy, if you want a happy, good life, keep control of your tongue and guard your lips from telling lies. See, we, we love to launch those verbal missiles at the people who hurt us because it feels so good in the moment. It feels so good to tell them like it is. It feels so good to hit them with that truth bomb, drop the mic, and walk away. It feels good, but we never take the time to think about the damage it causes. The damage of careless words often take years to recover. You know, it's interesting as a pastor, I've counseled a lot of couples who were in serious conflict. I'm talking edge of separation and divorce kind of conflict. I mean, they are clashing and it's so amazing to me. Most of the time when we peel back the layers, the initial issue that started the conflict is minor. It's some stupid little thing about the toilet seat being up and down. But the reason they're on the verge of divorce is not the toilet seat. It's the words they've said to one another in that conflict. Harmful words escalate. And they will take you to a place that you don't want to go in your family relationship. See, that's the problem with words. Once you speak them, they're tough to get back. I mean, I know when we were kids, we had that take-back rule. Y'all remember that? Like if you were on the playground and somebody told you that Jimmy said something bad about you, well, you just went right up to Jimmy and said, Jimmy, did you say that about me? Jimmy's like, yeah, I said it. And you said, well, you better take it back. Jimmy says, okay, I'll take it back. Everything's cool. Here's the problem. That principle doesn't follow us in to adulthood. And harmful words spoken are impossible to take back. It takes years of work. So what I'm saying is, before you engage your mouth, make sure your mind is warmed up. Make sure you think before you say. Now here's the flip side. As damaging as words are, 
they have even more power to heal. That's why Proverbs says, careless words cut like a sword, but wise words bring healing. What are wise words? Words that build others up. Words that encourage. Now listen, that doesn't mean that we don't have hard conversations. In families, we better have hard conversations. But even those, we speak those words in a way that try to help others and not harm them because we're mad about what they've done to us. So let me ask you this question. The words that you say to your family and the words that you say about your family, what do they say about your value of your family? What do your words say about your value of your family? As as we close this morning, I find it so interesting that Peter would choose to close this powerful passage on relationships with these words in verse 11. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. Family harmony does not come easy. And it will not happen accidentally. It requires work and intentionality. And so here's my question for us today. How much are you willing to work on your family relationships? Would you pray with me? Father, we recognize today that this is a painful topic for many of us. For many of us, it stirs up memories of harsh words said to us. But for many of us, it stirs up harsh words that we have said without thinking to people that we love. And so, God, we are in need of your mercy. We need you to pour out your mercy on us so that we can forgive ourselves and begin to move forward. That we can forgive those who have hurt us in the past so that we can move forward. Father, help us to push past the conflict, the differences, the wounds, and the scars and begin to bring healing and hope into our homes. Oh, we pray like David, how we need your help, Lord, especially in our homes. So, Father, would you move us to action today? Would you move us to responding not with just emotions and filling in blanks and circling Scripture, but would you move us to take a step, even if it's only one step in the right direction, to living out our faith in our homes. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.